This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. G'day, Adam. How are you going? Excellent. Thank you. Mm. Don't forget, if you're looking for a present for a loved one, uh, perhaps a nice stocking filler or even a treat for yourself, uh, then check out the Equity Mates Get Started Investing book uh, available online at Booktopia and at all good bookshops. Uh, cracking read, uh, lots of information to get you started on your investing journey. But Thomas, massive show coming up. New Zealand, well known for its hiking rates, that is. We'll find out where they've taken them now. Uh, And when life gives you lemons, you should sell them at the lemon markets. Uh, We'll find out why lemon markets might be important. And hey, Alexa, where did you put Amazon's billions of dollars? We'll find out a bit later on in the show. But first, Thomas, Cyber Monday today, Black Friday last Friday, call it what you want. Shops are having sales as they often do. Uh, what's mm. it all about? Yeah, it's big now. It's um, mm. it's yeah, I didn't quite realise, but it's it's become the the busiest black well Black Friday now eclipses Boxing Day as the busiest uh, day of the year for Is that retail. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bigger than the whole week before Christmas. It's much more convenient than Boxing Day. I know. Like you've got the Boxing Day test match on. No, like no one's going to the Who shops. Who wants to go shopping oh. after Christmas? I've never understood that. People dragged themselves there because they were getting bargains. Like people used to line up, remember? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, I guess lining up's a thing of the past too because you've got like online now, which is... Yeah, but well, the Boxing Day sales are down now, last four years. I don't even want to be online during the Boxing Day test, first, the first mm. day of the Boxing Day test. Mm. It's what Boxing yeah. Day is for. Right, yeah, just give your total focus to the computer <laughs> and or family. <laughs> Christmas days for family, <laughs> Boxing days for me. Right, That's, fair, fair enough. We have. We also have in our house. We have Christmas day. We have Boxing day, and then we have Do Nothing day on ah. the day after Boxing day, just mm. to kind of just to ink in like doing absolutely nothing, which is very similar for me to Boxing day, <laughs> where, where I'm watching cricket all day. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But there's absolutely no commitments on do nothing day. Uh, anyway, I digress. Yeah, so yeah, that's no, big now. Uh, Russell Kogan was saying that he expects the Black Friday to be to have, be five hundred percent above average for trading. Wow. Okay, so massive, hmm. and seems to be going off. Yeah, Jerry Harvey from Harvey Norman saying that yeah, everyone's out there. They're expecting to do record trade. 
Mm. All the bargain hunters are out there. The biggest sales are in computers and electronics. There's still a lot of money in the community and people are looking to buy now instead of waiting. Why is it, why is it called Black Friday? Where'd that come from? Well, it's an, it's an American thing huh. and it comes after Thanksgivings, but Thanksgiving's on the Thursday. Yeah. It was a bit like you are talking about last week with the holidays, so that you get a holiday on the Thursday mm. and then Friday was a work day, but no one would show up to work. <sighs> yeah, right. And so, so they were saying it was like Black Friday, like the Black Plague. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it does, ha- it does certainly give you, it has like negative connotations around it. When you hear yeah. like Black Friday, you think that's bad, must be. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, it's good. It's bargains. Retail's <laughs> tried to rebrand it a few times. So like I think, it was, yeah, Harvey Norman was calling it Big Friday. Right. But um, that hasn't really taken off. And then the retailer in America was saying that it's trying to create the myth that it was when retailers were, went back in the black. Oh, okay, right. But I think that's not... That's not where it comes from. Yeah. They're just trying to put a spin on it. Mm. Yeah, and then okay. they found that people weren't that excited to make retail shops profitable. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a motivator <laughs> for consumers. So, yeah, but it's going, yeah, going gangbusters in Australia. I did hear some interesting data this morning, actually. They said that Black Friday sales in the US were up 2.3% on last year, and they're talking in the trillions or billions of dollars that that, that, that represents, mm-hmm. but saying that... 2.3% is not actually a particularly big increase like on this same time last year when there was uh, yeah. lockdowns and COVID and and it's not even keeping up with inflation. So True, true. Yeah, so, yeah it's good. I mean, yeah, that's what the Australian Retailers Association was saying. They're expecting $6.2 billion, uh, over the weekend, mm. but that's up from $6 billion last year. So it's a fairly modest increase. Mm. But still, I mean, it's, it's going up, which is when that's sort of the interesting insight it gives us into the economy. Like it looks like, you know, as Harvey Norman saying, he's, he's setting records. Um, retailers seem pretty happy with, with how it's going. Mm. Um, that's in, in spite, yeah, despite the rate hikes that we've seen. So rate hikes don't seem to be denting consumer spending. They're not cutting into that savings pool that they've had. So Harvey Norman saying there's still a lot of money out there in the community. Is that is that Harvey Norman saying that then people aren't cutting into their savings pools, or is that like because that's the question, isn't it? Like, mm. are people still just wealthy and and well off, or are they kind of going oh, bargains? I've got to get the bargain, so bargains. I'll I'll put off whatever other you know like food purchases we need because yeah. we need a big screen for the World Cup, you know, <laughs> knockout stage. <laughs> yeah, which I totally understand totally. and support and endorse. <laughs> I've been looking myself at a big screen for the knockout stage of the World Cup. Yeah, no, hard to know, hard to know. Mm. But it does, it does, yeah, it does suggest we're not cutting back. I mean, it may be a pull forward. That's the other thing, like it because it's it's only five years old that it's taken off in Australia. Like mm. five years ago, there, were, there weren't Black Friday or Cyber Monday. That was, you know, it wasn't mm. really a thing. And Boxing Day sales are on the way, are falling. Mm. So it might be we're just switching consumption from close to Christmas to now. It makes sense too. Like people have got a lot more money pre-Christmas, you Mm. know, like I think people and they're looking for presents. Like people are thinking right now about what to buy their loved ones for Christmas. Could I Mm. perhaps recommend Equity Mates Get Started Investing book as an option if you're out there looking. But people are, you know, they're looking to spend now because Mm. they want to buy things for Christmas. Whereas Boxing Day, you've just bought stuff all December. You've just got Mm. a heap of stuff that you got gifted as presents. Yeah, You probably, Mm. like I was never that enthused about 
Yeah. Even, yeah. you know, buying anything at all come Boxing Day, mm-hmm. early January. So spending's good though, right? Like for the, I mean, well, it's good. It means that people are, are okay, but it, I guess the RBA would see that, wouldn't they? And they'd go, well, this is not good. It's yeah. not what we want. Not good. Ooh. <laughs> need to see more unemployed people. That's what Phil's thinking. Look at them out there spending. Yeah, you better be buying a big screen because you're going to be stuck at home soon once we get the unemployment numbers up. <laughs> All right, Thomas, the RBNZ, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, uh, what are they up to? Yeah, they dropped a, a monster hike uh, last week, 75 basis points. Ah. Yeah, that's the biggest increase ever for the RBNZ since since they wow. introduced an official cash rate back in 92. Yeah, so big lift. I've now had 400 basis points since October last year and leading mm. the world actually. New Zealand's number one. <laughs> They've hiked. Killing it. Yeah, hiked the most of all. Well, one, they were first. They were first of the rate hike party and they've hiked more than any other well, anyone else in the Anglosphere? Uh, I guess the obvious question then is why? Why mm. are they so enthusiastic about raising rates? Yeah. Well, part, part of it, I mean, they've got inflation like everywhere else. So mm. CPI at 7.2% is too high. Food price inflation is at a 40-year high of 10%. So definitely too much inflation in the system. Things that are different from Australia is, one, they've got wages pressure. So they've got... Yeah, average hourly earnings in the private sector are up eight point six percent, which is which mm. is massive. Um, so it does look like wages are getting a little out of hand potentially in in New Zealand. So they need to need to stomp on that. But the other really interesting thing about New Zealand is that you know we talked about some countries sort of a cultural difference around whether you have fixed or variable mortgages. Oh, yeah. In New Zealand, ninety percent of mortgages are fixed. Right. For how long? Like, are they like because we talked about the US having ah, like fixed yeah. thirty years or whatever? Don't know. I, I think it's more like ours, like two, three, right. four years kind of thing. So a lot of people fixed during COVID at, at really low rates. So half right. half the mortgage market over the next twelve months is going to come off fixed rates and reset ah, at rates okay. that are three hundred basis points higher. So they're going to have a big big reset. Mm. coming but what it means is like that 400 basis points that we've had out of the rbnz hasn't touched consumers yet right so with australia with you know with most of us on on variable mortgages the rba hikes and people feel it immediately they're like oh mm. well okay that's you know you get a letter from the bank and and you now you now you're paying more out of your out of your income mm. on your mortgage and, and that slows things down in mm. New Zealand, that's not the case because everyone's half the you know half ninety percent of people are unfixed. Half the half of them are fixed at super cheap rates with COVID. Four hundred basis points hasn't touched them yet, right. and so it looks like the RBNZ's like, wow, I need to like we need to sort of drop a psychological bomb on the New Zealand population. <laughs> and- <laughs> that resorted to mind games. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the Reserve Bank strategy. We need to get in their heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just keep niggling at them from silly mid on. <laughs> when they look out their window and they see the RBNZ van, they'll know. Just a call comes up on your phone from RBNZ and it's just breathing. Yeah, so they got so they got to shock people because because it's, people aren't aren't feeling the pain of it yet. And so mm. they need to get it on the front page of the newspapers. They need to have that 
biggest rate hike ever kind of effect. Yeah, to get Mm. people to go kind of take a pause and go, oh, wow, okay, we've got some big rate hikes coming. I need to maybe maybe slow things down. Mm. Um, Did they get it out ahead of Black Friday or (laughs) (laughs) probably would have been smart? I think they did. I think they dropped it on Thursday. (laughs) Or in New Zealand, it's it's called All Black Friday in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right, before we take a break, Thomas, uh, we did have a couple of listener questions come through, which we, we love getting. Uh, Will sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com. Uh, he says he's on a quest of self-development to financial literacy, uh, not something I can relate to, but each to their own. He said, we hear of major driver of current inflation being supply chain shortages, China lockdown, Ukraine war, etc. In a world where these things hopefully ease over the next few years, He's expecting that uh, inflation-driven things may start to slow down. So he's kind of saying, as these things ease, why do we then not to ex- not expect to see negative inflation as a result rather than just a reduction in inflation? Could we possibly see negative inflation? Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. T- historically, you don't tend to. It's like hmm. periods of deflation are very rare. And because I think because the basket of goods is so broad and there's just a general mm. tendency for things to go up and then if cost pressures ease, businesses tend to leave their prices up and see if they can get away with expanding their margins first. Right. So, yeah, typically typically you don't see it. But in this this period, I think it is quite possible because so much of it is energy related mm. and energy prices have spiked and could cut, could correct quite sharply. And so they could go from being a big contributor to inf- to inflation to being a big, you know, subtracting from inflation in a substantial way. Um, and if that sort of offsets the rest of the basket of goods, then you might you might see deflation. I don't think it's super right. likely. I think it's it's probably more likely that that the pace will just slow. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's de- it's definitely possible, and definitely possible with this period. But it'll uh, it'll be brief, I think, if it is. So have we seen have we seen deflation before? Like, is that a thing? Oh, it's the, yeah, it's definitely a thing. It's definitely a right. thing, but it's very rare. Like, I don't, I okay. can't remember, not in our lifetime in Australia. I don't think. Right. Mm. Oh, there you go. Oh, hopefully that answers your question, Will. Uh, and we had another one from Quinton who sent us a message uh, via Instagram at CVE Podcast. He says, I just have a question about wages. Uh, I hear a lot of commentators saying that if we raise wages, then the economy will collapse because companies won't be able to pay their employees. I don't understand this logic when it seems higher wages would equal higher disposable income, which would equal higher profits. Seems like win-win to me, mm. Thomas. Is this the wage price spiral risk that we talk about? If ever, if we just jack up everyone's wages, they'll spend more and prices will go up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But well, what he, what he identifies there is is an interesting point about like the wages are more like from term in terms of consumer spending, wages mm. are higher wages are a good thing. So if you're a, if you're a consumer facing business, you like higher wages. Mm. Not for your staff, but for other. If everyone else apart from your staff got higher wages, that's a good thing. And it was sort yeah, of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, your staff don't have any friends that are telling them that they all got a pay rise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think I think it was Ford back in the early 1900s. He was mm. saying that he liked to pay his wages, workers, good wages, because then they would go out and buy cars. So he, right. he sort of. Uh, yeah, identified that. And I think Marx sort of, it was one of the internal contradictions of capitalism is that companies want to suppress wages, but wages mm. are necessary for consumption uh, and mm. for business profits. So he's saying that that's one of the internal contradictions that's going to ultimately lead to capitalism's collapse. Okay. Hasn't yet, but you know, 
Hmm. Clock still Good running. It's early days. Early days, yeah, yeah. The scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's a tension. It's a, it's a dynamic tension in the economy. Like wages, higher wages are good sometimes in some it depends on the context. But Thank you so much for sending your questions in. Don't forget, you can, of course, do it yourself. CVE at equitymates.com if you want to send us an email or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE or do what Quinton did and send us a message uh, via Instagram or Facebook at CVE Podcast. But for now, let's take a quick break, grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Thomas, it's been a few weeks since the collapse of FTX. Uh, we covered it with a special bonus episode last week. If you haven't heard that yet, go and check that one out. How are we now? Has crypto sorted itself out? We're all back on the straight and narrow? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, the market seems to have stabilised, but there's a lot of, it's only one week, one week doesn't make a stable market um, Mm. and still a lot of questions hanging over there. Over the past week, the big questions have been around Genesis, uh, which is a prime broker, so sort of an institutional. Phil Collins. Yeah. (laughs) Phil Collins bands. That's right. (laughs) He's got a stable, he's released his own coin. Genesis are a prime broker, so that means they're sort of an institutional lender in the crypto space, quite important Mm. for that sort of institutional money, it it sounds like. Big questions around them over the past week. The timeline's pretty funny, is it, watching it play out. So on November 8th, they said they've got no material net credit exposure to the FTX collapse. Then the day after that, on November 9th, they said, actually, we've lost $7 (laughs) The day after that, they said, oh, actually, it's $175 (laughs) <laughs> then on November 16, they went, oh, actually, no, you can't take your money out anymore. We've got to freeze freeze it. Yeah. The day after that, they said, actually, we need, a, we need $1 billion. Otherwise, <laughs> we need to raise some capital. And November 21, they said, we're going to go bankrupt if we don't get that mm. money. And then the day yeah. after that, they said, actually, no, we're not going to go bankrupt. That's a rumor. So That's a, a rumor that we started <laughs> when we asked for a billion-dollar bailout. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why you thought we were in trouble. <laughs> that <laughs> we're just a regular company looking for a billion dollars to bail us out of a liquidity crunch. Yeah, in the middle of a crypto shakeout. Yeah, yeah. Don't know why. Where you got that idea from? I mean, I, th- I think it's. I think it's really interesting in the in the crypto space right now. The there's a sort of a, a big question around trust. Hmm. There's a there's a 
really interesting paper in economics written in 1970 called The Market for Lemons, um, oh, yeah. written by George Akerlof, who went on to win a Nobel Prize in 2001. Mm. But he talks about what happens in a market when there's information asymmetry between buyers and sellers, specifically when sellers have more information than buyers. So like the thought experiment is you imagine a used car market Mm. and there's good cars in the market and there's lemons. And if you're buying a car, you don't know which is which. You don't, you, Mm. you don't have that information. And so what in economic theory, what you're willing to pay is the, the average price of the value of a lemon and the value of a good car. Yeah. So if a good car's worth 5000 and a lemon's worth $1,000, you are going to pay something in the middle of that mm. because you just don't maybe, know. Maybe add on extended warranty. Well, yeah, hang on, we get to that. So <laughs> in, in the absence of any sort of institutional factors like that, right. you're, only will, you're only willing to pay that average. But as a seller, you know, you know your car is worth good money, mm. um, and, but buyers aren't willing to pay good money. And so you leave the market. You just go like, well, I'm not going to get... I know my car's worth more than that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell it. Right. And then you get this kind of like spiraling dynamic where as the good cars leave the market, the average price people are willing to pay goes down. That pushes more good sellers out of the market. The price goes down and eventually uh, the market is killed. You have no market left at all. Right. And you say, and there's sort of like a model that proves how that dynamic plays out. And I think we're sort of seeing something a bit like that in the crypto space is that there's a big asymmetry between the big players in the space who know what they're doing and know what their holdings are and all of that. And then what's happening with the consumers of, the, of these products where they don't know, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. And in the absence of any institutional factors, that has the potential to kill the market completely. Because as a consumer, you don't know what you're getting and you're not willing to offer value. The good players leave the space and you get this sort of death spiral. <laughs> I'm not convinced that anyone knows the value, though, in this crypto space. Like, isn't that the isn't that the problem? Like, the sellers don't know the value, the buyers don't know the value. Everyone's just like they're just trying to sell, hoping that there's buyers, mm. and there are buyers because people are like, well, I think it's probably going to go up. Yeah. So it's a problem. like at least if you buy a car, you get a car. Yeah. It might it might have a broken engine, <laughs> or it might have a flat flat tire or whatever mm. but you still got a car yeah yeah but i think but it's also it's also like i'm not just talking about like shit coins this is also about mm. like your your custodians and your your lenders in the, in the crypto space mm. when it's unregulated so the interesting right. like the interesting thing about what Akalov says this is where you get these institutions to preserve the market you then get institutions either like at a regulatory level where the government comes in and say, if you're found to be selling lemons, you're going to get prosecuted and you'll do jail or whatever. So you have like some kind of government set regulatory settings or you have voluntary settings where like the warranties and and guarantees Mm. and that sort of thing. And that's how, and that's how the players preserve the integrity of the market and go like, I'm willing to offer a guarantee. So that, that way, you know, you know that you're getting a good deal. Mm. This, and this is sort of where, where crypto I think is now now facing is like, do you build trust by going down the regulatory route and building sort of regulatory infrastructure around the crypto space? Or do you try and build it internally and by proof of, proof of custodian, proof of assets, that sort of stuff, right. and somehow do it internally? The interesting thing about like thinking about doing it internally, like, you know, you think about a car, a used car, car lot offering a warranty, that's a voluntary arrangement, but it's still a contract. 
And mm. it's still a contract that is enforced by the metal level, you know, infrastructure. Mm. If your used car lot sells you a dud and they've given you a warranty, you've got a legal contract that you can then take them to court and say, hey, they, they promised they would do this. Mm. The court and the police system and the force of government comes and goes, yeah, you've got to actually uphold that. So even though it's a, a voluntary decentralized arrangement, it still mm. relies on centralized infrastructure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I guess the, the challenge is in that example that the used car salesman sells the car and offers the warranty then the, and your car breaks down the next day, it's unlikely that you've gone back to the car lot to find that it imploded overnight. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the owner of the car lot is living in the Bahamas and <laughs> no one can find him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Another one of the challenges for crypto. So there's no, there's no ACCC or whatever, or regulators, courts, police, whatever in the crypto sphere. No, no, that's right, that's right. And so you might see players, I think, emerge in the crypto space that, like, an auditor of sorts mm. to say, like, you know, we audited Binance, and you know, we don't Wasn't even know she where in the Binance. Bahamas with the owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> So it pushes back that layer of trust one level. We go, oh, no, they got audited. But then you've still yeah. got to trust the auditor, right? Like, so there's still that problem. And having a blockchain in the mix doesn't solve that fundamental <laughs> trust problem. Yeah. And that's what I kind of feel like with crypto is my sense. Like, okay, so I'm a bear now. So I'm, I'm popping off now that crypto's collapsed. Mm. And I'll go quiet again in the next boom. But yeah. for now, it's like, it looks to me like crypto is just reinventing the money, money monetary and, and government settings from mm. first principles. And they're going, right. oh, wow, yeah, like if we just invent money and let people do whatever they want in the unregulated <laughs> space, people get ripped off and lose heaps of money. Maybe we need regulation. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to see the first, the first shit coin come out with a warranty, some price beat guarantee. If, uh, <laughs> if you buy Doge at 0. 0.003 cents and it goes... <laughs> And it drops to point two. We'll pay you the difference. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Thomas, finally on the show, uh, Amazon, news out of Amazon. Alexa's in trouble. What's happened to her? Yeah, Business Insider was running the story this week that Amazon's thinking about uh, cutting Alexa loose, Um, saying that, yeah, Amazon's worldwide digital unit, which is responsible for Alexa and others of the other devices, lost $3 billion in the first quarter of 2022 alone. Wow. So, yeah, you know, potentially $12 billion a year, just mm. bleeding cash. I thought, when, you, when you said thinking of cutting Alexa loose, I thought they were like talking about taking the shackles off and just letting her go, <laughs> like just, right, we're just going to, she's sentient now. We're, <laughs> we're putting Alexa, Bezos is gone. We're putting Alexa in charge. She's running Amazon now. <laughs> Yeah, no. So I'd be like, hey, Alexa, buy some Tim Tams. Not for you, fatty. (laughs) Yeah, so bleeding, you know, 12 billion a year. That's, yeah, bleeding a lot of money. And Amazon, you know, like Amazon shares are down 45%, I think, so far this year. They're they're in the, you know, they're they're doing it tough, Uh, looking to cut costs. They're looking to cut 10,000 lay off 10,000 people, like 10,000 engineers from that devices division. Man, I wonder how they're going to find out. Just be like, hey, Alexa, how's my commute to work looking this morning? <laughs> it's pretty good. You don't have a job anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. 
that's a lot though. Ten thousand. Yeah. Ten thousand employees. Substantial. Substantial. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of surprising to me, and not when you look at the numbers, but mm. like I thought Alexa was crushing it. Like you know, yeah. it's, it's out there. It, it dominates the the smart speaker market. Like it's got sixty nine percent market share. Google Homes at 25%, Apple HomePod at 5%, Facebook Portal I'd never even heard of. That's 1%. <laughs> Sounds like most people have never heard of it. It's a portal to the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, so it's 69% market share. That's crushing it. And, yeah. you know, and popular, like it's, it's out there. It's definitely out and around. Mm. Good sort of reach, but they just hadn't found any way to monetize it. <laughs> That's the thing. I remember I brought a Google Home home. And Anna was like, what does it do? And I'm like, ah, it, you can ask it stuff. And she's like, yeah, like what? And I'm like, well, like the weather. And you do the, the basic things. You're like, look, weather. What's the weather today? And it tells you the weather. Yeah, but then you go, oh, okay, well, now we can maybe set an egg timer. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like your uses run out really quickly. Pretty quick, hey. Yeah. yeah. They were trying to push people to buy stuff. The hope was that people would get the Alexa and then use it to buy stuff off Amazon. Mm. But it just wasn't taking off. And it actually, you know, it just sounds like a dumb idea. Like you, I just wouldn't trust voice AI to order the right thing for me. Like I want to look nah. at the products and compare a few products. And- I mentioned weather. Like that's bread and butter, right? That should be, that's like easy, slam dunk. Like we are often ask Google the weather and like I, I live in Brighton in South Australia and it gives us the weather for Brighton, not even Brighton in Victoria, but Brighton in the UK. <laughs> so you take that kind of level of AI and accuracy and you go, am I really going to order it like my next, my $3,000 TV through mm. Amazon, you know, like through Alexa or even order a pizza. Like you order a Hawaiian pizza, you're going to get an Italian pizza. Like it just, mm. it's nowhere near accurate enough. Mm. I read this thing the other day, it was interesting. There was a thing talking about the smartphone and how the smartphone is still the king after like lots of different technologies have come along trying to, like claiming to sort of be smartphone killers. And I think voice was one of them, you know, and there's things, other things like Google Glass or the glasses or whatever. But that smartphones are still the way that most people like to kind of interface with the world, especially if you're browsing products. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think it's just an idea that's just not going to take off. Privacy is also a bit of concern with, like, it's one thing for me, like the idea of this is something, a device in my house constantly listening to everything <laughs> we say. <laughs> just like, oh. oh, you old fuddy daddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like it, but I, I'm... I'm trying to outsource as much of my parenting as I can <laughs> to these devices. <laughs> yeah, like I heard a lot of parents don't want these things like in their kids' bedrooms, mm. for example. But for me, to be able to tell the smart speaker in the living room to tell the smart speaker in the kid's bedroom to be quiet and go to sleep, that <laughs> saves me getting up and walking. But it's a double it's a it's a double edged sword because my kids have now started fact-checking me Ooh. on Google. Like, we'll be having dinner. <laughs> and, and they'll be like, hey, Dad, how far is it from, <laughs> from here to Melbourne? I'm like, oh, it's about eight hours. And they're like, oh, really? And, and they'll literally just like in front of me 
they'll ask Google like how far it is and just uh, I'll be like, I told you. They're like, well, yeah, we just want to check with Google. Yeah. Emily actually wants, she said to me the other day, she, so she's seven, she said, I, I said, what do you, what do you want to, what would you like to do when you grow up for a job? She goes, I want to be Google. <laughs> <laughs> she's, yeah, she thinks Google's got a pretty sweet gig. She just sits there, answers questions, <laughs> gets to chat to people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, maybe she got... can replace the ten thousand engineers at Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I might have some work to do on my kids' relationship with technology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for home automation. I love the home automation stuff. But, but yeah, I think the the smart speakers and all that. I can see that they haven't really they haven't really taken off in our house, and we've got them everywhere. <laughs> They just interrupt us when we're watching TV. Uh, All right. Uh, That does us for this week, I reckon. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Really do appreciate it. Don't forget to check out all the other great shows across Equity Mates Media, including The Dive, which is now the award-winning The Dive, hosted by Sasha Kelly from Equity Mates Media. And Sasha also does production work on this show. She produces each and every episode. Uh, She is an amazing person and she has an amazing show as now certified by uh, the recent podcasting awards. So uh, if you haven't heard it, go and check it out. Uh, But that's all for us for this week. We look forward to chatting to you again next week. It's bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. 
Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.